Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, welcome back. If you haven't already, would you like and subscribe to this podcast so that more people can enjoy and access this important content? Today, I am joined by Allison Meyer Madrigal. Allison is the president of Rescue America, a national nonprofit that exists to rescue, revive, and empower the sexually exploited through a 24-7 hotline and emergency care program. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thanks, Adam, for having me. So happy that you are here today. Uh, one of the things you probably don't know as viewers and listeners is Allison and I have known each other for nine At, years? Yeah, I think you. we knew each other before I got started in That's this, true, right? Yeah. So probably nine to 10 years, something like that. Um, and so it's just, it's exciting for me to have her on the podcast today. She used to live in Houston, has recently moved to Denver, Colorado, uh, which hopefully you'll mention a little bit about why you did that here in a little bit. But um, so you were just happened to be in Houston? And- I did. I, well, I came just to see you guys. <laughs> Exactly. I love him. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's how important the Elijah Rising podcast is. Uh, that's right. So today we're going to ask the question, what are the challenges to exiting the life? But before we do that, I want to introduce you just a little bit more to the audience. So Allison, how did you get into this work? Um, and, and like, what about it caused you to say, yes, I'm going to orient my whole life around serving overcomers of sex trafficking? God. Okay. <laughs> so, but I'll, but I'll back one. up a little bit. Uh, I was actually in corporate America uh, yeah. for about 10 years and had a stirring in me that I was supposed to be doing something different. So long story short, after about a year and a half, I left the corporate world to actually start a for-profit company yeah. thinking I was just going to fund anti-trafficking work. Yeah. Well, God had a whole different plan yeah. and that he was going to have me start a nonprofit as well. And so my journey was just initially assessing the landscape from a, at that point, a donor's perspective, yeah. right? Of like, what's the issue? How do we fight this? Right. Where are the gaps? What needs funding? And so, I mean, one of the first meetings I had was with Micah yeah. and Kat at the time. And I had heard about this hotline in Atlanta, Out of Darkness. And um, and it was like the first connection that I made. And so I was like, hey, could Houston use a hotline? I mean, I was right. totally not. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. Sure. And Kat was like, absolutely, we need a hotline. Yeah. And so yeah. really it was one connection after the other. It was like one meeting led to another. Um, and we were cat basically like pushed me off a a cliff to launch. Um, But I remember going home that day and saying, God, if you want this hotline in Houston, you got a lot of work to do in 30 days. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, we needed law enforcement connection. We needed to figure out how to do the rescues and we needed a place to take the women. So three significant things. And in seven days, everything had came to me. And so that was right. And it was was like the fear of the Lord of, yeah, Oh, I don't have a choice, yeah. right? I got to answer the call. Yeah, it was it was a really I remember those days. I remember those first conversations and you know, we were kind of using a phone number. It was like a Google <laughs> number and it was difficult, but we knew that there was a need for it. And I, yes. I remember when you were like, "Man, there's this thing coming out of Atlanta. Like we need to look at this." And um it's insane. Like it's miraculous, I should say. It like, is. How quickly all of that kind of fell in place. 
and look where things have gone now. Wow. Um, so tell us more about Rescue America. And so maybe some of our audience might still think of you guys as Rescue Houston. So kind of help us understand, like, who is Rescue America? Uh, why the name change? Maybe say mm-hmm. a little bit about that. And uh, and how do you guys operate? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So during those years of understanding the landscape, I saw the huge gap between yeah. outreach efforts that you guys do and long-term care and thought there's got to be a process of assessment, rescuing assessment and stabilization to place in that best long-term care home. So that's how we were formed as we are filling that gap. And so um, our operations is essentially, you know, Elijah Rising goes out and distributes our hotline number. We have other partners as well across the city and the nation that do that. Um, But when the victim calls into the hotline and they're ready to exit, we help strategize and plan their escape. So, you know, uh, we know we've talked about on the podcast, I'm sure before, of women actually falling in love with their trafficker. Sure, pimp. right. So it's not busting down, breaking down doors or walls yeah. and extracting them. It's literally a mind coaching sure. and helping them understand that, hey, that God did not intend for you to live in this and let us help you get out. And so strategizing and then setting an exit team. So when that survivor is ready to exit, we send a man and woman exit team to pick them up from that location, that public location, and then transport them to one of our safe, um, safe shelters um, that we partner with. Yeah. And then from there, we have an emergency care program. So I always compare us to 911 ambulance ride and emergency room Yeah, yeah. For the, for the trafficking victims. And so our whole goal in emergency care is to assess and stabilize so then we can place in that best long-term care home dependent on her needs. Is she international? Is yeah. she domestic? Is she a minor? Is she an adult? Does she have children? Is she pregnant? You got to consider all of all that the factors. Yeah. when you're placing into that next step. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you're also, I mean, you know, you're a national organization. So how does that work? I know you've got people here in Houston, uh, people in Colorado, people in other states for that matter, multiple cities in Colorado. Um, Adrian's over our shoulder here. He, you know, and so how does, how does all that operate together? You guys are so spread out. Great question. So uh, when I went to Denver, so in 2018, Cherry Hills Community Church reached out to us. They encountered a trafficking victim on their front doorstep. And they said they searched Denver for resources and there was nothing. And so they took up the call upon themselves to figure out what to do. And we got connected. Mm. The Lord led us into Denver. Um, When I went there initially in April 2019 to do really a landscape analysis to see what was there, right? Fundraising, all of that kind of working the land we started getting hotline calls from across the country Mm. without marketing the hotline number in other territories. And so our automatic response is, okay, how do we handle this rescue virtually? And so um, we have territories where we have trained up volunteers and the army on the ground, which is Houston, Denver, Billings, Montana, and now Casper, Wyoming. But if we get calls, and our first quarter calls, about 50% were out of territory. So out of territories where we have volunteers. And so we will strategize her with on the phone. If we can find an immediate placement from her location to that place, we'll send an Uber. We'd rather have volunteers. Or sometimes that shelter can go pick them up. But we arrange those logistics or if they need to be put in a hotel room for a night or two to catch a plane the next day or a bus to get them to an emergency care place or someone that will take them off the street. So it's a lot of virtual um, strategy over the phone and technology (laughs) is how we get them out. Yeah, and thank God for technology because, I mean, I guess you can do that now, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And COVID's taught us so much more what sure, we can do yeah. on techno- with technology. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so um, 
so what about volunteers? So, cause like, do you have staff in all these locations? Is it all staff that's doing all this or is it volunteer based? Is it the church? How does that work? Great question. So part of our call that we feel as Rescue America is mobilizing the church yeah. to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment talking with, working with the survivor. And so we have four main opportunities where people can actually volunteer. Um, The first one is our Rescue America Outreach Hubs, which we have created an outbound telephone call system where if you say, I want to volunteer, you literally, with a group, sign into the website and you have a phone number and you push call. Yeah. And you just say, hey, I'm a volunteer with Rescue America. If you're in the life or know anyone that else is, here's a hotline number that you can call. And so how we get the data is we scrape websites that advertise them for for sale online, and we import them in our back end. So that's the first way. And a lot of those hubs are hosted in churches. But with COVID, churches are in the homes now. So we are really flexible on how, and now that we have the technology, um, it used to be in the old days, uh, where they had to research the data themselves. And so that was a lot. Which was very problematic. Yes. 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 Which we all did that. Like That's not just a Rescue America thing. We were doing it too. It's very difficult for a volunteer to do that. Yes. So we have safeguarded that and put that into a whole automated outbound call system. So that's our number one opportunity. Number two is our hotline advocates. So when the hotline rings, the first responders are volunteer and they are all trained, but they have a form that they fill out with simple questions, right? And if that is, if it's a survivor and she's ready to exit or if it's a survivor at all, our online exit strategist team are automatically notified. Those are staff members. So once it comes to that point, they're the ones that dive deeper into her situation and ask, is she really ready to exit the life? Right. It may be a first time phone call. She may be filling us out. She, you know, that type of thing. So if they are after the determination of questions, then they start planning, okay, can you get away? Can you get to a public location? Right. Is your trafficker a pimp? around the corner, like, how do we do this, right? Um, And so then they find the location and deploy the exit team to go pick them up and take them to that safe place. Uh, So that's our third opportunity. Our fourth one is called an exit companion. So if the survivor needs to stay in a hotel for a night or two, the exit companion comes and brings them food, brings them a care package, is really just a friend for them until they catch their flight or they catch their bus. And so it's very short, you know, shorter increments of time, you know, hours, um, like our hotline advocates volunteer for a four hour slot each week. Mm. Sometimes they may get three calls, some they get zero. So it just depends um, kind of the flow of the hotline at that point, but really incremental points where people can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like for y'all, like the church really plays like a very forward role in that. I mean, I heard you reference the church, like at almost all four of those different spots, um, which I think is, is so cool. So, um, it sounds like Rescue America is really utilizing personnel from all over the country. Correct. Yep. <laughs> Whether it's volunteers or paid staff, and which is amazing. And and honestly, I just have to say, like, just personally, real quick. Uh, I mean, I I have watched. I've I've been privileged enough to watch the the growth and the evolution of Rescue America from that first day to where it is now. And it is, I mean, it's fascinating. You guys are doing such amazing work. Um, well done. That's just an applause you. for you. Um, you saw the days where I was trying to give it away too, right? Remember yeah, when I was trying yeah, to like, wasn't gonna give tell away the hotline? Yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, can you Until do this? God I have this like, other idea that I want to do. And so, yes, yes, yes. God's like, things. no, you need a lead. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, which we're all very thankful for um, that you decided to, to keep up with it. So I think many people though, uh, when they hear the term rescue, okay, uh, that it kind of, 
it does conjure up these images of like kicking indoors in the dark of the night, or um, I think maybe because of the influence of media and some other kind of uh, things that we have seen and heard, like rescue is this high level special ops, you know, curve, covert extraction of people behind locked doors. So I, I want to ask you, like, what does the term rescue mean to the organization um, and like for your volunteers and for your staff? And why do you choose that term? Great question. We get this yeah. a lot. And so I'll take you back to when I was naming the organization. I think the Lord woke me up like at three in the morning. <laughs> and so I'm like, what are we going to name this thing? And he said, your name needs to tell what you do. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, we rescue and it's in Houston. So rescue Houston. Yeah. <laughs> right. True. It was get, like, yeah, you were in Houston. You know, it was that like, yeah. okay. And then the, the website was open. And so I bought it. And so here we are. And yeah. now, and now it's America, but a great question to the term rescue. So, yeah. um, I know it can have a negative connotation in the industry in terms of like, Oh, people think they're the rescuer. And that is yeah. not at all who we are. So we, all of us at rescue America staff and volunteers, and a lot of our colleagues who are fate, we know we've been rescued by Jesus. Mm. Right. So we all need rescued from something. Mm -hmm. And so we are just simply the vessels that God uses to reach down his hand to rescue them. And so it's all about him rescuing, um, but it's God chooses to co-labor with us, Mm. right? And so it's really deploying the church to be the Lord's hand and feet in rescue for the victims. So let's say, um, I'm just going to ask you to kind of like work through a scenario with me real quick. So let's say um, we are sitting at a church on a Friday night, it's 10 p.m. and we've, the hot line we're using we're using the the your, the technology you guys have designed to make these phone calls yep um and while we're doing that um somebody gets the information from one of the volunteers and then they hang up the phone mm-hmm. but then another phone call rings the exit hotline rings yep and it's a woman and she got that information and she's made the decision mm-hmm. so just help our viewers and listeners understand someone picks up the phone this survivor says, okay, now's the time. Mm-hmm. I want to exit. Yep. So what happens next? Yeah, no, great question. So that hotline advocate would take that information, pass it on to our on-call exit strategist. She then actually starts asking the survivor questions of where are you at? Who are you living with? Assess the situation. Yep. Is there a public location? Can can you look out your window? Is there a public location around you where you can get to? And if that's yes, I mean, typically they will throw things in a bag. Sometimes it's within the hour. Sometimes it's two days. We just had a situation in Denver. It was three weeks of strategy for a woman and her three children to leave the abuser. Wow. And so it can really vary depending on what situation they're in. But a lot of it is, you know, when they think of the kicking down the doors and the walls. It's all strategy. Yeah. It's not in the physical, but it's in the mental and the spiritual. Yeah. Um, and then we, we also have intercessors that are covering um, the rescues as well because we know we fight a spiritual battle. Mm. And so, um, but once they determine that pickup spot, then she goes, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to deploy an exit team, right? So she, through our system, you ma- if you're on the exit team, you get a text message saying, we have a rescue at this address at this time. Can so you take it? So it's bang, bang, bang. I yep. mean, everything kind of just kicks into place. Yep. 
Okay. Exactly. And then the rescue team, the first ones that respond, yes, yeah. then they're deployed. So our exit strategist is like the um, dispatcher at 911. Ah, so she's analogy. dispatching and directing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they go pick up right away. And that dispatcher has also located that safe place, whether it's a hotel or a shelter, partner shelter, um, based on that territory. Now, again, if we're in a, in a territory where we don't have volunteers, sure. we use Uber. But we need volunteers in every city. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, because you're getting calls. From everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, one other question, and then we're going to go to a break. What is the relationship between, if there is one, I don't I don't know, uh, between the Rescue America hotline and the Polaris phone number? We hear often that people should call the Polaris line. Um, what, how does that work? Great question. Yeah. So we actually get referrals from the national hotline. Okay. So the national hotline is good if for the general public. I see, I sense trafficking or it might be going on here. Call the Polaris hotline. They get it to local law enforcement. Right. But if a survivor calls into Polaris, they say, oh, well, here's some resources in your area. Well, we know a woman in that mm. state of mind, she a lot of times cannot go through that resource list and determine what she even needs. Sure. And so we're literally the phone call and the hand that comes and walks with them. Uh, and so that's the huge difference um, between us. We're, we're, that we're a referral partner for them. Well, that's great to know. Um, yeah. That's really good to know. That that's So kind of what I hear you saying is it's almost working hand in hand, yep. really working together. We're going to take a break in the podcast. And when we come back, uh, we're going to circle back to that opening question. Um, what are the barriers to exiting? Uh, now that we kind of understand how the hotline works, how exits happen, what are the barriers to that? And then what are the barriers to uh, the aftercare after exit? So uh, stick with us. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Take a second and think about how many subscription services you have. Netflix, Hulu, Spotify. If you're like me, you have more than you actually use. That money just disappears out of your bank account, or maybe you don't even use the product anymore. So why not donate that same amount of money to Elijah Rising and know that every dollar you spend directly serves those who are overcoming sex trafficking. We invite you to join The Rise. The Rise is a dedicated community of recurring donors who give strategically to fund the work of ending sex trafficking. Join our community of more than 200 members who have decided to rise up. $10 a month can provide services for women seeking to exit exploitation. $40 a month can provide job training and employment for an overcomer of trafficking. Donate online via credit card, debit, ACH, or Apple and Google Pay at ElijahRising.org slash rise. Welcome back. Allison, one of the most common questions we get, and I'm sure you and your team get this question often as well. Uh, we hear often from people, well, why don't they just leave? Uh, if we know where they are, and we know that there are not all you know tied up and behind locked doors, why don't they just walk away? Why don't they just leave? So as someone who works daily to help survivors exit their exploitation, you're literally building a nonprofit around that thing. Uh, what are some of the most difficult, um, some of the most challenging barriers an individual faces to that moment of exit, to making that decision to exit? Yes, great, great question, Adam. You know, a lot of people see the movie Taken yeah, and right. assume that's what trafficking is, which I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It sure, does. that happens. Yeah. But America looks completely different. And yeah. so we are talking with a woman that actually has fallen in love way before, years before, 
actually this trafficker and pimp was an awesome boyfriend. Mm. You know, he took her out and wine and dine her and said he loved her and he cherished her. And then all of a sudden over time or overnight it flipped. Yeah. And so she actually loves her trafficker or pimp and she's actually bonded to a trauma bond to her trafficker or pimp. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about that, you got to think about the mind and the psychological process that a, a survivor goes through. So the first reality that a survivor has to face is like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Is he... I thought he was this guy. Wait, is, is he really this guy? And sometimes that can take years to really, because they're still wanting to believe he's really this man that's going to take care of me and love me. And so it's that pre-contemplation of even recognizing I am in a bad relationship, right. which can take years. Um, so, But once they realize and kind of start awareness coming to them that, hey, they're not in a good situation. It's making that phone call. Like, are are there really people out there that are going to help me? Yeah. Um, And what is that going to look like? A lot of times the fear of the unknown overcomes like, well, I know my day-to-day life. I know what it's like, and I'm just going to stay here, right? Um, But then drugs are a huge component. Um, Many of the women, you know, one of the questions we ask on the hotline is, what's your drug of choice? Yeah, because the reality is, is you've got to have drugs to maintain to this survive. lifestyle, yeah. right? And so the addiction, the, the the relationship, and the addiction to the drugs, and then the money. I mean, there are some women that really like the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, we had a woman in our program for about a week, and she decided she wanted to go back to Vegas, and she was going to go work for Mister So and So because. They drove BMWs and Bentleys and they were high end. So she was going to go to a different employer, right? And so it's the lifestyle and the money. So those are the three, um, four, I guess, fear of the unknown, the trafficker in love. Um, What was the other one? Uh, Drugs. And, yeah. and the lifestyle are really what we see um, luring them back. And then compiled with all that, I, I feel, I call it like this glob, right? Yeah. You've got this glob of mental, emotional, sure. physical, spiritual goop. It's all mixed together. All mixed together, sure. right? And so you've got to peel, you got to figure out which one to peel at the right time. Right. And so that's a huge, huge process. Yeah. Um, and so just knowing, we believe God can do miracles and we see healings and we, we know he moves miraculously, but a lot of times our healing is a process. Mm. And so when we understand the Lord has chosen us to be in this part of the survivor's journey to healing and that it's okay if she goes back. If we were obedient to what God called us to do, it's okay. Right. Um, and be there when she calls again if she's ready to exit the life. Yeah. yeah, and I know, I, you know, and I should state up front, I don't actually know where the statistic comes from, so maybe I shouldn't quote it, so I apologize for that, but you might. Uh, but one of the things I've heard is, and we could probably find it, uh, is, you know, it, it, it t- on average it takes a survivor exiting, you know, sometimes upward nine times mm-hmm. before they make a final exit, before they make that final choice to... And a difficult choice. Let's yep. be honest, right? Because you're right. Because they know their they know their day to day life, and I cannot imagine what it must feel like to call a phone number and say, "Okay, take me away from everything I know." It's bad, right. but take me away from everything I know, and, and, and I'm trusting you. Yeah, yeah. And like, how do you trust someone? How do you trust these people that you don't know? Mm-hmm. Like the barrier to that must be so difficult. But what, what the truth is, though, right? We see it over and over and over again. How many exits did you guys help facilitate last year? So last year we had 155 exits. Yeah. 
you know, and some of those, and we now have the um, tracking system and the data system to track actually how many times it takes a victim to call. No kidding. Okay. The hotline. And so we just got our first quarter numbers in, yeah, which yeah, yeah. which aren't a good measurement because it's only one quarter. Sure. But just in the first quarter, it was over two times See, there per you go. exit, right? Yeah. And then some of those, we actually had um, four exit more than once. And so we're just able to get to the nitty gritty of yeah. um, how many times does it take her? Does she go back and following up after those placements, after they're out of our care, yeah, yeah. six months and 12 months down the line? Yeah. Um, because the reality is, you know, domestic violence relationships, I mean, they take, you know, five to seven times for a woman to leave. And so right. ideally, like, it makes sense that it would be nine or 10 times at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. And we have other episodes on the podcast that kind of explain why that is and the grooming process. And, and um, I think the, uh, the episode that aired right before this one was all about the grooming process and why that is so difficult to overcome and to heal from, which is a segue to the next question I want to ask you. What are the challenges Rescue America sees and faces um, as in terms of short-term care? I know you guys have a rescue, or I'm sorry, a, uh, an emergency care program. Yep. Um, and so talk to us about that uh, and talk to us about emergency stabilization and then just like care. So like a woman exits, she's with your team or she's in that safe place. What are the challenges that you're facing for those next steps to make sure She's whole, she's healthy, she has what she needs, and she's getting into long-term care. Yeah, great question. So, A, you have to understand the healing journey is a long process, and you got to understand the trauma on the brain. Because they whatever age they got abused at, that's where their brain stunted. And so if they act like a three or four year old, that's because of trauma on the brain. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the big pieces are training the staff and the volunteers to understand the why behind the what Mm -hmm. of why they are operating this way. And if we can respond to them, right, we, we bring in the atmosphere of peace and love and joy. And so knowing, Hey, I don't have to react but I can respond, right? And in that moment, help her make the right decision yeah. moment by moment by moment. Yeah. Um, so that's really, um, and it's, we. so when we initially started at Rescue America, we partnered with domestic violence shelters and homeless shelters, and right. we still do um, from time to time. However, we quickly realized the level of care that the survivor needs is not in those shelters typically. Sure. And so that's why we created our emergency care program. And so it's all about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? First, you got to take care of the physical, right? They got to have a place to sleep. They got to have something to eat. They have to have a shower and water, like basic before you can even start talking to them. And then you go into that second level of really understanding who they are and their story and, and, getting them to trust you and, yeah. and where are they at in the decision-making process and why have they decided to call the hotline? Um, and, and we're actually piloting, um, we used to, well, we do a lot of de- Deep questions on the hotline, but yeah. but when you look at it, how how accurately can they respond to those questions when they're in survival mode? Yeah. And so placing them in a hotel for a week or two so they can as rested when they have food answer those questions and we can dig deeper on their needs and are they are they stable enough to go to a long term care home right away yeah, yeah. right or do they need our stabilization therapy before they go to a long term care so really it's the discernment and assessing on that end of what is she in need of because every case is different sure yeah right and um yeah so it's really but from a from a uh perspective across the country, um, the biggest missing link is this immediate rescue and assessment stabilization before the long-term care. And so actually I just had a call with a a national partner, um, very 
uh, very, very, what do I want to say, seasoned and okay. smart um, lady, but there's, they now have 20, they're tracking all the beds in the U.S., 2,100 long-term care beds. Yeah, wow. Um, and so there are beds, but when you compare to the number of trafficking victims, you know. Oh, it's, yeah, drop in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's the deal, even with the Elijah Rising long-term care uh, program, which we're very proud of, um, like we actually, you know, there has to be some sort of stabilization. We are not a program, though we have capacity, uh, which we're trying to fill that gap. That's <laughs> right. right. Uh, we are not a program that takes people in directly off the street or dry, directly off an exit. Mm-hmm. And so even in our work, um, and I know we have had, we have had conversations about this, like how do we fill that gap of that first 30 days mm-hmm. or perhaps 60 days or whatever the case may be. And how are we, you know, who's taking care of them and where are they staying and what sort of supplies do they need and who's funding their care and all those sorts of things. So, um, what does that look like? I mean, or how, how are you thinking through that problem right now? I know we are thinking through it. I know there are other agencies that watch this podcast that you guys are thinking through it too. So kind of what are you, what are you thinking in terms of that short-term care right now? That is a great question maybe right you don't now, have an Adam. Answer. Maybe no, you don't because have an the Lord is literally right now going recalibrate, rethink. I want to show you something new. Yeah. And not that, but our current emergency care program is 60 days. Right. And, but the Lord's even saying for scalability across the entire U.S., you've got to think differently. Yeah. And the reality is, we all know a hotel room is not the best, yeah, but no. the reality <laughs> is that's what we have right that's now. That's what we've got. Right? Yeah. So how do we create portable therapeutic modules yeah. to pour into the hotel room, yeah. having a counselor on call with them, and then having that volunteer provide the physical. I mean, we even um, use ship it to deliver groceries to them sure, yeah. when we don't have volunteers in the territory. Yeah. And so um, back to your question, the Lord is honing us in even more, you know, and I always say this to a lot of organizations figure out the lane God has called you in and do it really, really well because we could all give 10% to every part of the continuum of care and never do it well. And so so what, and so for us, it's that gap. We know it's the hotline and we know it's assessment and get them out of their situation to be placed. Right. So is that 60 days or do we need to, to parenting? Because the reality is some of them that call our hotline are ready to go to long term. Sure. Yeah. Um, And that process typically takes two to three weeks at the quickest to find the home, send in the application and get placed. And so again, what do we provide for them in that two to two to three week time period that's going to prepare them and help them. I mean, simple things like we exchange their cell phone, right? So when they come in, we, we actually give them a new cell phone and put safe numbers in there and we hold their cell phone um, because that temptation to answer the pimp's call or jump on social media, right? And see all your friends. Um, So there's very intentional things like that that we have to do on the front end to kind of get them over that 30 to 60 day hump. Yeah. Yeah. um, You you made a note and I just want to reemphasize it. Like every, and this is important for the audience to hear, and we've said it before, but every survivor is different. Mm-hmm. Like every single case, is, every single human being is different, right? We all have unique qualities. There is no monolithic idea of a survivor of sex trafficking. Right. Which means that serving these individuals as they exit can have a myriad of different ways that <laughs> absolutely right? <laughs> And so in this work, it can sometimes be very difficult to make sure that we're covering 
all of our bases to be able to meet all of those needs. Um, and so I just appreciate so much that y- y'all are thinking that through. Um, yeah, and I will say, too, yeah, that is the body of Christ, right? We have to link arms and work together to solve this problem. Absolutely. No one organization can or will do it all. Yeah. And so God's the one that's going to be glorified. Yeah. And so it's by all of us saying, hey, Elijah Rising, you are awesome at outreach. Our call is not to go on the streets, right? right? And, you know, so-and-so, you're great at long-term care. Okay, great. We're all going to link arms yeah. and do it together. Yeah. Yeah. And we appreciate that relationship too so much. Um, you're... Adrian, who's the development uh, director or vice president of development, I uh-huh. forget titles. Over ah, that's there. right. Development. Uh, he al- he always he always brags on Houston because we have so much collaboration, and um, I really think that our two organizations really kind of pioneered that and just yes. said, "Look, I mean, we have always worked hand in hand." Yep. To put the, those individuals that are currently being exploited first. Absolutely. Through our intervention work, through the exit strategies. Um, so we need more of that. I guess yes. that's what I'm getting at. Absolutely. <laughs> we need more collaboration. We need more hands on deck. Uh, and we need um, more more facilities that can help provide care. So Allison, I just want to give you the space here as we kind of near the end of the podcast. Is there anything we missed? Like, is there anything else you want to share? Um, and then I kind of just want you to have the time to like, tell us how we can support your work and the work of rescue America these days. Awesome. I would say if you are a person that's listening and felt like you've had a call on your heart from the Lord to work in this space, just take one step at a time. It could be very, very overwhelming. And just ask the Lord what he would have you do for the day. It it always starts out in prayer. Ask the Lord, have communication with him, and maybe start volunteering. And the Lord will lead you. And I can always... I can tell when a vision is from the Lord because mm-hmm. it's very, very unique, and it's typically not something that everybody's doing. If mm-hmm. the Lord has a plan that he wants you to start an organization, he's going to give it to you. I had no clue, no intentions, did not want to run an organization, <laughs> yeah. but, but God did. Yeah. And so I said yes, and so he will give you that. So in trying to, to force something to be done— yeah. Let God flow in and through you yeah. to make it happen. Um, because I think a lot of people, t- when they hear about trafficking, they take on the responsibility and are like, oh gosh, what do I, what, I got to start an organization. Sure. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. But it's truly asking the Lord, God, what have you, you, you made me aware for a reason, yeah. right? Is it prayer? Is it volunteering? Is it starting an organization? Like, what is that piece that you're wanting me to do in this season of life? Because there can be different seasons of life um, that God takes us into uh, all the time. Yeah, it's so good. And you can also donate money. Uh, That's right. Which, which our organizations very much appreciate. Uh, so tell us, what's the website? You know what? Stop. Let's do this. What is the hotline number? Good question, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We should have stated that at the beginning. So if somebody is, if somebody's looking to exit or uh, if they know somebody who's, who could, you know, is in a situation that they want to get this resource to them, what hotline number should they provide? Yes. Yeah, so our number is 713 uh, website www.rescueamerica.ngo yeah social media handles at all uh, we're on Facebook Instagram Instagram uh, all the normal places LinkedIn yeah yes, yeah, yes link- I think that's I'm right. not a social media person <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anything else you want to share? How else can people support uh, Rescue America? Yeah, really. So really, we the, the four key ways of volunteering, um, if yeah. you go to our website, you can actually apply right online. And thanks to COVID, our training is all now online. There you go. So if you sign up today, you will be sent all the information. And then once you complete the training, you'll do an interview with one of our staff. We'll do a background check and you'll be deployed. So yeah. it's a very simple, easy process. The other thing, we're, we're raising up an army of um, donors who say, I can donate $25 a month yeah. and provide for the immediate needs of a, of a survivor when she exits the life. So this is food, clothing, um, water, all those physical needs. And so this is a very, very sustainable model for a nonprofit when you... Think of nonprofits. Um, it's all well cash flow, right? And it nonprofits yeah. um, go off of grants and donations, and so it can be very, very up and down. And so, if, if we can build a monthly donor right base, that is very sustainable and very a, a breath of fresh air yeah, yeah. <laughs> for nonprofits in terms of cash flow and financing yeah. operations. Yeah. And you can donate online as well. That's right, uh, Allison. It is great to see you. Great to see you, Adam. Happy to have you back in Houston. It's great to be here. Humid. Yeah. Humid, it's, humid. It's not Denver. No. It's not Denver. Uh, thanks so much for being here today and having this conversation with us. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, I guess not just here anymore, but all over the country. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you on the next episode of the Elijah Rising Podcast. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at ElijahRising.org slash donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.